0: about, we're really all about a family that helps people come to a personal faith in Jesus and then encourages one another as a family as we learn and grow together, and uh, baptisms are a great reminder of that. Well, if you came this morning looking for Pastor Mark, I hope you won't be too disappointed. My name's Pastor Rick. Uh, I'm quite a bit older than Pastor Mark, um, but a lot better looking, so I hope you won't be too disappointed. And. Uh, so I'm glad that you're here, and I want to uh, say to uh, you, church family, Merry Christmas! Woo! Or should we be saying Happy New Year? Woo! Okay, we'll do a little informal poll here. How many of you think on the la- we should still be saying Merry Christmas? Raise your hand, okay? How many think we should be transitioning to Happy New Year? How many think both? All right, that one wins it. I found myself this week saying, okay, Lord, um, what do you want me to bring to your people? Uh, and I, I admittedly, in my own heart, I'm one of these guys who loves to stretch out Christmas. So my first inclination was, let's milk the Christmas season, beautiful time of year, and, and so Christmas music, Christmas decorations. But tomorrow, we'll transition, and the Christmas decorations will start coming back. Reality will set in, and we'll celebrate the, the, uh, the new year. So this morning, I hope um, you won't identify, I'm one of these guys who um, wanted to stretch out Christmas, uh, there may be some folks who identify with this person who sort of uh, wanted to get over Christmas. Listen to this. It's called the. It's a little poem called "Twas the Day After Christmas." Twas the day after Christmas when all through the place there were arguments and depression. Even Mom had a sad banana face. The stockings hung empty and the house was a mess. The new clothes didn't fit and Dad was under stress. The family was irritable and the children no one could please because the instructions for the swing set were written in Chinese. The stores were full of people returning things that had failed and the shoppers were discouraged because what they bought was now on half price sale. It was the day after Christmas the spirit of joy had disappeared The only hope on the horizon was bowl games on the first day of the new year. Well, I hope that uh, you have enjoyed a Christmas season and uh, not being too discouraged or depressed afterwards. This morning's message is a Christmas message, but it's a message that will carry us on into the new year. It's a message about the birth of Jesus. But it's a message that I hope to challenge you, encourage you to walk into the new years with um, Uh, with significant life change that God wants to do in your life and my life because of the birth of Jesus, because of the miracle of God becoming flesh, the miracle of Jesus coming as one of us in human body, in human form. So this morning's message uh, is from John chapter 1 initially, John's version, the Apostle John of the Christmas story. And it'll come up on the screen. I want to read together. Uh, In the beginning was the Word. Okay. Now, we need to pause on that for a second. And I need to say, this passage is is well-respected as scholars as probably the most theologically rich depiction of Jesus in all of the New Testament. This is a very powerful revelation. But what is John saying when he says, in the beginning was the Word? Well, the Word in... As it meant in the day that John wrote it, for the Greek mind, there were the the Greeks and the Hebrews in the Greek mind, logos is the word, in the beginning was the logos, to a Greek mind that meant the first founding principle of the universe, that the universe is not an accident, that there was a a, a founding principle, an uncaused cause to the universe, that was the logos, the, uh, the founding principle of the universe. And John is saying that, to the Greek mind, um, that that founding principle of the, the universe is a person. He's not just a principle, he's a person. And by the way, his name is Jesus, and he's shown up on our planet. And to the Hebrew mind, logos, the word meant God's self-revelation, that God had revealed himself in creation, he would revealed himself in the law, he'd revealed himself in the prophets, that God had revealed himself to his people. And now he's saying that self-revelation of God has shown up in personal form, in bodily form, and his name is Jesus. And so this name, the word, is one of the richest descriptions of who Jesus is. He is the personal creator of the universe, the unfounded founder of the universe, but he's also the full self-revelation of who the living God of the universe is. And so in the beginning he created he he uh, he existed. He was pre-existent. And yet in the beginning was the word. <clears throat> and John goes on to say and the word the logos was with God. He was separate from God and a separate person and the word was God. What we have here is two members of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus being the living word. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. He's the creator of the universe. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. He's the creator. He's the source of life. And that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So this powerful person, this word, appeared among us but he did not appear unannounced. John says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not John Mason. John the Baptist. Just in case you got confused. John, the, John, the, John Mason is a wonderful servant of the Lord. But it was John the Baptist who showed up and introduced Jesus. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the covenant nation of Israel, but his own did not receive him largely. Yet to all who did receive him, catch this, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Don't miss that. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become his family, the children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but catch this, they're a new creation. Born of God. Now, verse 14 has John's Christmas story in four words. The word became flesh. That living person, creator of the universe, became a human being. Fully God, fully man. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. This is not just some story. We're eyewitnesses to what happened with Jesus. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's version Of the Christmas story. The Word became flesh. I want us to notice one primary reason why the Word became flesh. We read it. One primary reason why Jesus came as one of us in bodily form, in human form. But then I also want to notice some related reasons that might surprise you because there is one major, major reason, but there are some other related reasons to the Word becoming flesh. So here it is. The primary reason. Jesus came as one of us. The Word became flesh to create a family, to form a family. He wanted to gather some children. That's what it says in those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, I love again this time of year where it takes a a, a poet, someone like a Max Lucado, to help us uh, capture the miracle of the wonder of the word becoming flesh. And uh, so this this, uh, gifted poet writes this, describing this miracle of Jesus entering our world, coming as one of us. (coughs) Max Locato writes this. Untethered by time, God sees us all from the backwoods of Virginia the business district of London, from the Vikings to the astronauts, from the cave dwellers to the kings, he saw us before we were born, and he loves what he sees. Flooded by emotion, overcome by pride, the star maker turns to us one by one and says, you are my child. I love you dearly. I'm aware that someday you'll turn from me and walk away, but I want you to know I've already provided a way back. And to prove it, he did something extraordinary. Stepping from the throne, he removed his robe of light and wrapped himself in skin-pigmented human skin. The light of the universe entered a dark, wet womb. He whom angels worship nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant, was birthed into a cold night, and then slept on cow's hay. Mary didn't know whether to give him milk or to give him praise, but she gave him both, since he was, as near as she could figure, hungry and holy. Joseph didn't know whether to call him junior or lord, but in the end he called him Jesus, since that's what the angel had said. And since he didn't have the faintest idea what to name a God, he could cradle in his arms. Don't you think their heads tilted and their minds wondered, what in the world are you doing, God? Or better phrased, God, what are you doing in the world? Can anything make me stop loving you? God asks. Watch me speak your language. Sleep on your earth and feel your hurts. Behold the maker of sight and sound as he sneezes, coughs, and blows his nose. You wonder if I understand how you feel? Look into the dancing eyes of the kid in Nazareth. That's God walking to school. Ponder the toddler at Mary's table. That's God spilling his milk. You wonder how long my love will last? Find your answer on a splintered cross, on a craggy hill. That's me you see up there, your maker, your God, nail-stabbed and bleeding, covered in spit and sin-soaked. That's your sin I'm feeling. That's your death I'm dying. That's your resurrection I'm living. That's how much I love you does a wonderful job of capturing the word becoming flesh. What is the reason, the primary reason? (coughs) It's because God wanted to create a family. He wanted to gather sons and daughters and adopted kids for a forever family. That's how John phrases the purpose of the word becoming flesh. And you know, I had a tangible... Object lesson: a tangible uh, expression of God's adopting love. Number of years ago, but I'll never forget it. Martha and I had uh, four beautiful young boys in four years, and uh, we survived it. But we had all these toddlers, and we would go to the park, and we met this co- where, you know, playground park, and we met this older couple. We were uh, in our late 20s, early 30s, and we met a couple named George and Evelyn Marsh. They were in their 50s, early 50s. Now George had done really well in banking and investment, so he'd retired early in his 50s. They'd raised their kids, and their kids had all moved out, and George and Evelyn had adopted a bunch of kids. And where they'd adopted them from was Russia. If some of you can remember back in the, um, the uh, late 80s, early 90s, Russia opened up and people would travel from North America and adopt children from Russia, from the orphanages where a lot of kids had, had been raised in terrible circumstances, lost their parents and everything like this. So there were all these kids available for adoption. George and Evelyn had gone, and they adopted six more kids after raising their own four. And um, so we got to know George and Evelyn. We were much younger than them, but our kids were the same age, and they were playing in the playground. And we discovered their story. They told us about actually going into an orphanage and choosing the children for their family. And that blew us away, because Martha and I thought, well, we have four boys we, weren't, we actually had a discussion. It wasn't a long one because we had four uh, boys very close together. We weren't ready for a fifth child yet. But we thought, well, what if we went to Russia and, and chose a child? I know what I would do. I would choose a little girl because we already had four boys, right? We actually thought Mark was going to be a girl, but he turned out to be a boy and we, be, we were very happy about that. We had a girl's name chosen for him. <laughs> no disappointment at all. But we would have chosen for a fifth one, we would have chosen a girl. Not only that, I would have looked around and found, looked for a little athletic girl because I came from a background of athletics and I'd I'd want to go to a soccer game or a volleyball game or whatever. I'd want want an athletic little girl. I'd want a pretty girl because I'd want her to look like her adopted mom, right? That's what I would look for, athletic, pretty. But you know what George and Evelyn did? And, And it really convicted me at the time. It gave me a picture of the heart of God. George and Evelyn, they chose this little girl. They ended up naming her Victoria after the city we lived in. They chose a girl intentionally who was ugly. She had this cleft palate. You've seen pictures of cleft palate. Big hole in her face. She was born with this hole in her face. She was ugly and she was rejected and socially outcast from all of the kids, even at a young age in this orphanage. They chose her because they knew knew we can take this girl back to Canada where we live. We can get a simple operation. We can fix this cleft palate. And if you saw Victoria as we saw her as a five, six-year-old, she was just a beautiful little girl. You'd never know she'd not had that surgery. But what a contrast, what a picture of when God adopted you. He didn't, believe it or not, He didn't choose you for your good looks. He didn't choose you for your perfection, for your gifts, for your talents, for your beauty. He chose you out of a heart of love because he knew he could meet your need, the ugliness of sin. He came to be your Savior. He, he saw you in your spiritual need, and he said, I'm going to adopt that son. I'm going to adopt that daughter. I'm going to show my love for them, and I'm going to heal their illness of sin. And that was what the cross was all about. And that's the kind of love that God came into the world to show to you, to adopt you as his daughter, as his son. And so as you enter in, starting tomorrow, into the new year, hold on to that identity. Who are you? You're God's deeply loved son. You're his precious, cherished daughter. That's who you are. That's your identity in Christ. And live that out every day, recognizing that you have a God who loves you, that Jesus actually gave his life to heal your greatest need. And he loves you as a son. He loves you as a daughter. And relate to him out of that relationship. Jesus came because he wanted to adopt a bunch of kids, and a bunch of them are in this room. And let me say, I don't want to just take it for granted. If you've never made that personal decision, because the text is very clear, how do you get adopted as God's son and his daughter? You put your faith in Jesus. You believe in him. You receive what he has done on the cross for you personally. Only you can do that. Your parents can't do it. Your pastor can't do it. Your friends can do it. Only you can make a personal decision to say, thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross and suffered the penalty for my sins. Thank you that you rose from the dead and you love me with an eternal love. And as soon as you place your faith in Jesus, guess what? There's a new child born in the family and all heaven celebrates. So next year, live out your year. Maybe today will be the first day you make that decision. Maybe it'll be regathering it. Maybe it'll be reliving it. But live, walk into next year as a precious son, a precious daughter. Of Jesus himself. Well, that's the major reason. But you know, there are some other related reasons that that may surprise you. And so here's a second related reason why Jesus came into our world, came as one of us, why the Word became flesh. And it comes out of a conversation with one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, in John chapter 14. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus came from the Father. And Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, don't you get it, Philip? Even after I've been among you so long, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That Jesus came in bodily form to show us, to reveal to us who the Father really is. Now, we can look up at the universe and get a glimpse of who the God of the universe is. I mean, here in Hawaii, uh, I don't know how you can miss it. If you look around, you say, wow, God is awesome. The house, the ocean, the whales, the palm trees, the turtles. God is powerful. He created the universe. And he's wise. He's created this beautiful place. And he's good. Look at all the goodness around us. You learn some of those things about God. But none of that is particularly personal. It wasn't until Jesus came into the world, he says, I want to show you who the Father is. So if you want to know what God is like, take a look at Jesus. If you want to know what God would say, read what Jesus says. <laughs> if you want to know what God would do in any given situation, look at what Jesus does because he shows you who God is. If you want to know what God's perspective on your life is, your vocation, your finances, your relationships, your anything in your life, listen to Jesus because he reveals who the Father is. And one of the most powerful ways in which Jesus, in in everything he taught and did and lived, he shows us who the Father is. But one of the most powerful things Jesus did was tell us a story. (laughs) A story is worth a thousand words. Um, uh, Jesus tells a story that reveals who the Father is. You know that story. It's the story of a father who had two sons, and one of his sons, it's recorded in Luke 15... But I know you've heard this story. One of the sons uh, exercises an incredible insult against his dad. I don't know what could be more insulting for a son to his dad. But the son says to his dad, he says, Dad, I want my inheritance ahead of time. I don't want to wait till you die. I want half of your money now for my own purposes. (laughs) How would you feel if you're a dad? Like, you don't really love me. You just want my stuff. And that's exactly what the son was doing. But the father gives him his inheritance ahead of time. And so this boy takes half of the father's wealth, and he digs out for a foreign country, and guess what? He lives the party lifestyle. Lives the party lifestyle, has lots of friends, spends all his money. Some people realize that when you have a lot of money, you find a lot of friends, but when the money runs out, the friends often run out too. And at the end of the day, this man lost, this son lost all the money in partying. He lost his friends. He ends up as a Jewish boy, what could be a lower point in life, working at a pig farm, an unclean animal, when all of a sudden he comes to his senses and he says, you know, I have this dad who's a good dad, and I've I've blown it. I've insulted my dad. I've sinned against my dad. I've sinned against God. But at least my dad would give me a good job. Better than eating slop with the pigs. So what does he do? He turns his heart towards home, and he's walking back to the country where his father lives, and he's rehearsing his speech. Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I don't deserve anything more from you, but would you, would you just give me a good job? That's all I'm asking for. And you, can, you know how Jesus told the story, and this is the, the amazing, the beautiful thing. Jesus says, this is who God is. This is who the Father is, You know the story. The father, when he sees his son coming around, he grabs his skirts. He rushes out there. He embraces him. He kisses him. He honors him. He puts a ring on his finger. He tells his family and his servants, let us have a celebration. Get the best roast you can. We're going to have prime rib, turkey, whatever. We're going to celebrate because this lost son has come home. And by the way, all of the angels in heaven are going to celebrate. Jesus says that's who God is. That's who the Father is. He's this forgiving, loving, celebrating, generous God, the Father. That's who God is. And so, I urge you as you walk into 2024, wherever you've come from, that you can turn your heart towards home and you can embrace a loving, forgiving, celebrating Honoring God. That's who he is. Don't take my word for it. Jesus said that. And he came to show us the Father and tell us who the Father really is. And he he came from heaven, so he knows the Father. So, a beautiful thing for you and me to walk into in 2024 as well. Jesus is the one who came among us to to make us his son, to make us his daughter. And we can walk into the next year living as his precious son, his precious daughter. We can, uh, wherever we're at in life, turn our heart towards home and discover again the one who celebrates and forgives and loves and welcomes. But there's a third thing that we know from the scriptures, Jesus came to uh, one of the reasons why he came among us. It's not the central reason, but it's a related reason. And again, it's there in your notes. Jesus came as one of us, this might surprise you, to show us to serve, to show us to serve. I wonder if you have come to a depth of understanding of how important it is to serve others. It's a central value in the kingdom of God, that Jesus came as the greatest one, as the Logos, the creator of life, the creator of universe, the source of life the greatest one in the universe, but he came to serve. Jesus says, and you know this passage, Mark chapter 10, whoever wants to be great among you, and this is the greatest one ever in the universe, speaking. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom For many. What is Jesus saying? Jesus, well, you look at his life, there's never been a person in all of human history, any human being who has served like Jesus. You read his life, everything he did was in service to others. He had the powers of God, but notice he never uses those sovereign powers for his own self interest, for his own well being. He always uses his powers to care for others, he teaches others about the kingdom of God. And he doesn't even charge tuition. He heals people, and he doesn't charge them a medical cost or medical health care. He just openly heals people. He uh, delivers people from destructive influences of demons in their lives. He just sets them free without charge. And yes, in his greatest act of... And he feeds people. Don't let me forget that. He feeds people without charge. He cares for their physical needs. He heals, he feeds, he teaches, he uh, delivers. But the greatest act of service is he gives his life on the cross. There isn't a greater gift that he could give. And he does that so that his children can be forgiven their sins and can be set free to be sons and daughters of God, to be, um, receive the gift of eternal life, a relationship with the Father that goes beyond this life. So Jesus doesn't just uh, talk Servanthood, and I've got to get a little sidecrack. You know, don't you get tired of politicians, leaders in our culture who talk this way, but their lives are, don't back it up? Jesus is the perfect leader. He says, <laughs> uh, serve one another. This is the path to greatness. And his whole life is an integrity of, of servanthood, of serving. He is all about serving others. He's the real thing. And that's one of the reasons we uh, put our faith in him. Now, just imagine walking into 2024, if you're married. Imagine a husband actually serving his wife, putting her needs and her interests above his own. Imagine a wife putting her husband's needs and interests and serving her husband. Imagine a married, a, a married couple serving one another. Imagine parents serving their children Yes, recognizing their God-given authority, but raising them, serving them by raising them, teaching them about Jesus and the Word of God. Imagine that kind of servanthood in the home. Imagine an employee serving their boss as if he or she were Jesus, doing their work as unto the Lord. Imagine them having a servant spirit at work. Imagine an employer treating their employees as if they were Jesus, actually using their position of of leadership to serve, to look for the benefit of their employees. Wouldn't that be an amazing world to live in? At work, at home, in the church? Imagine a church family, just like New Hope Guy where everybody takes the spiritual gifts that God has given them and their ability and say, how can I serve others? How can I build others up? How can I help others? along this path of faith that we're all walking together. Imagine a serving church. You don't have to go too far. It's right here at New York. But can we grow in that? Absolutely. And yes, um, in all of these ways, looking to serve and to capture the greatness that Jesus intends for all of our lives because this idea of servanthood. Jesus said, I've come into the world to show you the fullness of God's heart. And by the way, do you recognize Jesus told these stories? the reward for faithful servanthood in this life is promoted servanthood in the world to come, in the new creation. That this world is just a training camp where we learn to serve because that's what we're going to be doing, serving God, serving others in the world to come. This is is not just, oh, it's something I should do at church. No, this is a central value that Jesus came to show from his own life. So yes, our takeaway for 2024... Enter into the new year with a commitment to serve everybody in your life. It goes into your marriage, into your family, into your relationships, into your church, into your community. And um, Jesus will be uh, thrilled, and we will be blessed when he looks down. He says, look at my kids serve one another. What a beautiful thing. Uh, One final one this morning. Jesus came ultimately and uh, primarily to gather a family, sons and daughters. But he came to show us the Father. He came to show us what it means to serve. And there's one other thing. He came to elevate the dignity of every person. You realize that when the Word became flesh, the greatest person in the universe became flesh, he came to give his life for, quite frankly, outcasts. You read Jesus' story. He he gave his life for people who... Didn't matter, didn't count, were suppressed, were rejected, were outcast in various ways. Christ died for the ungodly, Paul says. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we, while you and I were still sinners, before we were even interested in God, before we were in, he was on the radar, while we were doing our own thing, off on our own path, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. Now read the life of Jesus and, and you will see this heart of God's love for people that are outcasts. For example, social outcasts. People hated tax collectors for good reason. They sold out to Rome, they grabbed your money, they choked you. And Jesus went after Matthew, a tax collector. Zacchaeus, a height challenged tax collector. He actually invited himself to Zacchaeus's home. And he said to Matthew, gather your tax collector friends, those that are rejected. Hated outcasts in society, I wanna have a party with them. I wanna meet them. Jesus gave his life for social outcasts. It wasn't just social outcasts, there were racial outcasts. Thank God that we don't have any um, racism in our community. Well, uh, it can still pop up here and there. Jesus went out of his way to show love and to rescue people who were racial outcasts. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? You say, The the priest and the Levite, and they leave the guy dying in the ditch. They were like the pastor and the associate pastor of the church. They leave a guy lying in the ditch. And then this outcast guy, a Samaritan. Samaritans were half-breeds and and, and heretics. They were despised by the Jewish people. And Jesus makes the hero of the story a Samaritan. He elevates the dignity of Samaritans. He elevates the dignity of of tax collectors. He says, you matter to God. I'm here to, to reach you to love you, ultimately to give my life for you. Um, it wasn't just um, uh, social outcasts, racial outcasts. What about moral outcasts? Remember when Jesus meets, the, he actually makes an appointment with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, who's lived a life of social immorality. Many husbands and, and rejection and, and pain and, and all of that suffering. Jesus brings living water to a woman with a terrible moral background because of his heart of love for her. And um, yes, gender outcast, because she was a woman. People were surprised that he would even talk to a woman. Women were, in so many ways, second-class citizens. They were, out, they, they were uh, suppressed and, and, and uh, denigrated just for their gender, for being a woman. And Jesus came, in part, to liberate. In fact, one of the most beautiful ways he did that was when he rose from the dead, guess who he appeared to first? First. A woman, Mary of Magdala, and he makes her the apostle to the apostles. He says, Mary, you're the first one to see the risen Christ. You go and tell the other apostles that you're an eyewitness to the resurrection. She becomes an apostle to the apostles. He honors women, and uh, he, he uh, shares his, his love, his, his outreach to all of these outcast groups. What about financial outcasts? Jesus cares for the poor you ever felt like you're on the outside because you don't have very much money? One of the beautiful expressions of this is Jesus is in the temple, the power place where all the wealthy people, where all the powerful people, where all the financially prosperous people, because the banking center was the temple. And Jesus says to his disciples, hey, come over here, come over here. Look at this widow over here. She just gave two pennies, two coins. He doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the heart. And he honors the poor. He honors a woman of faith and sacrifice Because his love goes to all people. He elevates the dignity of the poor, of every racial person, of of gender, of moral people that need the forgiveness of, and all of us are in that category, just our sins are different. But one final one this is how Jesus elevates the dignity of every person. He goes into the temple and he sees two political groups the Herodians and the Pharisees, the conservatives and the liberals. And they're trying to trap him on a question. And I love the way Tony Evans put this one. He doesn't take sides. He says to both groups, I haven't come to take sides. I've come to take over. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful way? You know, Jesus elevates the dignity of Democrats. (laughs) He elevates the dignity of Republicans. And we sometimes make these barriers that Jesus wants to tear down, that he wants to take over our lives and bring them under his lordship into the political party of Jesus, and that's really all that counts, but he came to elevate, the, and when we find ourselves uh, uh, the opposite of, of dignifying people, treating them poorly because of their race, because of their financial condition, because of their education, because of their political, whatever, we've missed the heart of Jesus, because he came to elevate the dignity of every person on the planet, ultimately to give his life. So, my friends, that's the Christmas message. The word became flesh and he came to adopt you as his son and as his daughter. And so walk into the new year living as his precious child, his precious son, his precious daughter. He came so that you can turn your hearts towards home. He came to reveal the Father to help you and me realize that wherever we are in life, we can turn to the loving, forgiving, celebrating, wonderful, heavenly Father. He came so that He could show us his heart of service and we could walk into the new year, serving one another in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our work, in our church. And yes, he came to elevate the dignity of every person. So that every person we run into in the new year, close people that are close to us, family members, sometimes family members are the most irritating. And that may not be true in your life. Not in my immediate family, but sometimes extended family. Would you say amen? Can be the most irritating. Do we, is it difficult sometimes to treat them with dignity, with respect, recognizing that they are created in God's image, loved by Jesus in, in a way that he would, would give his life? And so, yes, we can elevate the dignity of the people that God has put in our life in all of these avenues. So, if we do those things... We will have not only a happy new year, we'll experience a blessed new year. Let's stand together and commit ourselves to the Lord to do that. Father, thank you for all of these wonderful reasons that the word became flesh. And Lord, thank you for the refreshment of this season of the miracle of Christmas. The living God of the universe, the most important, the greatest one who came among us and came as one of us for all of these reasons. Thank you, Lord, that we are indeed your beloved, precious children this morning. May we walk that out. And Lord, if there's a person here this morning who maybe your spirit would just touch their hearts and say, this is the day I I want to decide personally because it isn't automatic. I have to make a decision of faith. Say, thank you, Jesus. I receive what you have done for me personally in your death on the cross, in your resurrection. I look forward, starting this day, even before next year, walking with you as a new creation. Thank you for those who were baptized, who have expressed their faith of living a new life because you have touched their hearts and drawn them to be sons and daughters of God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful remaining Christmas season.